Welcome once again to Oakwood Connect. I am Pastor Ariel and I'm here with Elder John Tromley and we are going through the Beatitudes and today we're going to be looking at the Peacemakers. John, we are on Beatitude number seven. Yes. We got one left. This is exciting. Um, and I don't know how many podcasts we've done um, so far. I think it's we've done one per, per Beatitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've actually ended up having to cut stuff out because we always get more <laughs> right. than what we plan to do. And I'm sure that that will be the case today. Um, we're going to be talking about the peacemakers. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. There's there's a beautiful relationship that has been blossoming. And now we, we are at a point where we no longer see God. We are no longer just satisfied, but we're actually in this relationship of being called the children of God. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, we started, I think, the same way in most of the podcasts uh, on this, the Beatitudes, uh, definitions. Right. You know, we think we know, but then we realize we're not really sure what. And what is a peacemaker? Right. I think, you know, that's, we often read scripture and, and we go by these words. And more often than not, it seems like uh, you do have to pause for a second mm-hmm. and go, what? does that word mean exactly? And so with this one, it's it's a little different because we, we know what a peacemaker is. We've seen peacemakers um, growing up. And if we had siblings, we definitely saw peacemakers. Mom. Yep, right. <laughs> Mom or dad was a, was a peacemaker. So we know what that kind of means. But with this one, it's more of what qualifies one to be a peacemaker? Um, you know, you, you don't go and get a degree in peacemaking. So how does one become a peacemaker? There's this new thing of, uh, of life coaches. Oh, and I yeah. often wonder, well, boy, how, how does one become a life coach? What qualifies them to be a life coach? Uh, do you need a life cheerleader? <laughs> right, a cheer, right, all of these, these things. And so this one, it's what, what, be, what makes somebody a peacemaker. And first thing that pops in my head is, well, they have to have a, a um, definition for lack of a better way of saying that, of, of peace. First and foremost, they have to have peace. And, you know, we've talked about it before. I'm a cynic. And I think, well, that then nobody qualifies because, you know, if you see the world, there's not a lot of peace, right? So how does one become a peacemaker? It, make, it makes sense because, I mean, you're talking about the political world, and I'm thinking, you know, when things, you know, we need to figure out how to bring peace to South America. You know, let's mm-hmm. hypothetically say Nicaragua and Honduras are at war. We need someone to come and intervene and teach them how to become more peaceful. Let's talk to North Korea. Right. Let's have them go and teach them how to be. It won't happen. Right. A country needs to be at peace if they're going to bring peace to another parts of the world. Unfortunately, like you said, um, when Jesus says, my peace I gave to you, my peace I lead to you, not as the world. Right. Because we have the peacemakers, and they're called missiles. Mm. Right? And we have a missile called the yes, peacemaker. Yes, we do. Yes. <laughs> that's how we create peace. You know, the one with the bigger gun makes the peace. And that's how, it's interesting, I'm, I'm just realizing, <clears throat> there was a, a very common phrase being tossed around at the time of Christ, a little bit before and a little bit after, called the Pax Romana, mm. Roman peace. Mm-hmm. Rome brought peace to that part of the world, but really brought it through the sword, fear. Uh, you know, you got to submit to the empire, and if you don't, we'll crucify you. And there were parts of the Roman Empire that were littered with crosses 
of individuals that didn't want Roman peace. Right, right. And and you bring up, you know, politics, for example. You know, I do believe, you know, whatever side you're on, I do believe that the reason you're on that side is because you think it is bringing peace. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, what what does politics today kind of boil down to? And it's like, well, who is going to, ultimately, who's going to take care of the the less you know the the downtrodden yes or or the poor or whatever and so both sides talk about that it's just which which way are you going to do it so I do believe so and, and that brings us to this there is a definition on one side that that is peace there's a definition on the other side of what is peace so where what is this peace what is, you know where does it come from what who has the best idea of peace? Yes, because you, you said a crucial point. You must have peace before you can go and make peace. Right. And so to be able to have that peace means you know where you, you need to go to get it. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that, you know, just looking at society, how can we experience uh, peace in a society when the needs are met? Right. Both, both ends of the spectrum, that the wealthy feel that they're not being taxed to death the poor feel that they're not being taxed to death mm-hmm. <laughs> as well, uh, but that you know they're given opportunities to break out of poverty without handouts, etc. But you know, self empowerment. We have been going through. Blessed are the poor. Poverty doesn't bring peace. You know, th- th- that's usually when you have revolutions, mm-hmm. right? You know, exploitations, and you know, you're constantly, constantly oppressing a society. Eventually, they're going to revolt, mm-hmm. and that's what happened in Europe, in other parts of the world, including the U.S. So we start with poverty. But now we've, we've come to the mm. point of becoming children, but we've gone through hungering and thirsting, um, yearning, recognizing we don't have. But finally, we've arrived at a point where we are peacemakers because we've experienced peace within. Our needs have been met, and they have not been met by ideologies or philosophies. They have been met by a person. Amen. And, you know, and so where do, once again, so who is the author of this piece? And you know, obviously, we contend that that is, that's God, right? Mm-hmm. That God is, if God is who he says he is, God is love, then that peace we're looking for um, should come from him. Uh, again, everybody has these ideas of where it should come from, but you have to stand on truth. And I know that's an ugly word, right? People don't like to hear the word truth, but... In order to have peace, you have to have truth. You yes. have to. And truth, again, is not simply a statement or statements that can be verified and experienced to be true. Is a person. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these attributes of peace and truth, uh, Jesus described to himself. He, he, in the Old Testament, he's prophesied as the prince of peace. Right. And he himself declared himself to be the truth. Those are all things that can bring the experience of peace with it. Mm-hmm. Um, truth is something that is essential for peace to exist. Needs being met are things that are essential for us to experience peace. And so if I'm listening to you correctly, John, I don't experience this peace until I am converted. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because, you know, I'll, I'll on the other end of that is what... What brings you peace? What ultimately brings somebody peace? And without God, let's let's take God out of the equation for a second. So 
the world the world tells you, well, you just need to find a a, a significant other, then you'll have peace, and that's worked out, right? Because there's no divorce, there's no, uh, <laughs> you know, that never brings problems, right? Uh, so that's not it. Then um, you got to find inner peace. Well, how do you do that if you're the one that's searching for it, and yet then you got to somehow find it within yourself? How do you do that? So it's like saying I'm broke. What are your bank account? Right, exactly. So <laughs> that the solution there. Right, that doesn't make sense. Kids are peaceful, right? <laughs> oh yeah, brother. So so again, we go down these these cliche things that we hear, and ultimately they don't bring peace. When you're looking at a human solution to a human problem, you know, you and I were talking about this right before we recorded. Right. Um, well, in Puerto Rico. Um, I thought about John Lennon mm-hmm. um, as far as, you know, th- this oneness in Christ. The, the quarterly for last last quarter was talking about heaven, how in heaven we will no longer have wars mm-hmm. um, because there will be no more geographical divides that cause those wars today. They will no longer have those social classes, you know, where we have the uber wealthy and the uber poor, the uber poor revel- re- revolting against the, the wealthy. None of that will be the experience in heaven. And I began to to read that description in a, in a song, a secular song popped into my head. That song, Imagine, mm-hmm. by John Lennon. And uh, I was uh, happy that, you know, you have also seen through some of the veneer of these mm-hmm. songs. They sound nice. Right. You know, especially the song, Imagine. I remember I was a teenager when I first heard it. Not because it just had just come out, because they, they, people have done covers of that song. And I thought, wow, that's that's a... That's a punch in the face for a Christian mm-hmm. because of that one line, no heaven above, no hell beneath, no religion. Right. Can you imagine a world with no religion? Because then that will be a peaceful world. Right. So he felt the solution is within us. If you just imagine it, mm-hmm. it's not difficult to do. Right. You know, and um, for me, it's, did he succeed? Was John Lennon successful in experiencing that? Well, I would argue that, uh, in a way, yes, he did succeed because congratulations, look at what we have with that mentality, right? A world without religion, this, that's what we have now. Yeah. And it's very peaceful, right? You know, uh, <laughs> when, when um, I've been listening to some non-Christians and some non-Adventists, uh, there's a Catholic bishop that I was listening to uh, uh, some statistics that he was putting out out of concern for the Catholic Church and other Protestants are also showing concerns because uh, recent polls, mm-hmm. you know, you can take this with a grain of salt, but I think there's validity in this one. They've been doing polls in our country for the past several years. And in that question is, you know, religious affiliation, you know, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. But at the end, they would always have that one that hardly ever got checked. None. And today we have one of the highest responses between the ages of like, late teens, uh, young adults, mm-hmm. you know, 18, 19s, all the way through the 20s, maybe even early 30s, that demographic, um, they feel that they are nothing. Right. As far as religion, nothing. And that group is very happy, mm-hmm. <laughs> very fulfilled, not. Right. Um, they are the most fragmented as far as their attention. They're consumed by entertainment. They are consumed by media. They have very little drive for life, and they're and I, and I'll take it a step further. They're going to solve all the world's problems by not by preaching one thing 
and doing another. Yes. You Just know? like John Lennon. I mean, right. you know, I shared this experience with you so that we, we give a balanced view because we don't want to come across as, you know, the world doesn't have a clue, but we Christians, we know everything. Mm-hmm. Um, when I thought about John Lennon, about that song, Imagine, I thought, man, is he able to write a pretty song but not be able to live it out? Because like I shared with you, I, I researched that song, <clears throat> excuse me, it was written in 1971, a year after the Beatles broke up. And while he was writing his songs about, you know, imagine no possessions, no greed, a brotherhood of man, oneness, mm-hmm. um, him and Paul McCartney were going at it with the lawyers over intellectual right properties over their songs. Right. Millions right. of dollars on the line, you know. Um, all you need is love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're fighting over that song. Right. You know, who gets the most uh, money out of that song? Who wrote it? Who wrote the, the melodies, etc. He failed at his own imagination. Right. He sings a song about Imagine. And when I thought about, you know, man, John, you can write some very, very nice songs, but are, you are horrible at living out your own songs. As soon as I finished saying that, the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, Ariel, you, pre- you preach some pretty good sermons, mm-hmm. but you also find yourself in that same boat. Right, right. I can't. Romans 7, Paul says, the good that I want to do. I recognize that the law is good, is, is holy, but even though I recognize it, doesn't mean that I can live it. Right. And the, the good things that I would love to do, I find that I don't. And the very things I hate to do, I find myself doing that. And I've, I would ask, I always wonder, right, if I was to ask John Lennon, John Lennon, do you find, can you resonate with this experience? I'm almost confident that if he was honest, he would have to say yes. Mm-hmm. I'm singing about Imagine, but in the courts, I'm living the very opposite of what I'm singing. Mm-hmm. That's not a person in peace. Exactly, exactly. And that's, and like you just said, that is the experience in Romans 7. It's not peace. Oh, wretched man that I am, right, <laughs> yes. is, is the conclusion of that. Uh, so, so again, then we have to ask her, and that, and that's Paul. Paul, you know, very. You know, that is not Paul McCartney, right? Paul, <laughs> Paul from from Scripture, right? Um, and he was dealing, you know, and at a point he was dealing with that. So again, where does that peace come from? Then it does have to come from an outside source. It has to. It has to be miraculous because in of ourselves, we've 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 covered. Uh, we we don't have it. We, we just don't. So, so first of all, for me, peace is, is another word for peace to me is freedom. Mm. Because, you know, again, before I came into the church, uh, there was a lot of, if, if you're, again, if you're an atheist, well, then this is all you've got. So you've got to go for it. Right. And so with that thought uh, in the job, your job is kind of your identity. At, at that point then because again you get married you have kids and and it's all good stuff but it's not like it's always a high you have to have something else to kind of live for so you know your job t- kind of becomes your identity what's what do people ask you when they meet you what do you do for what do a you, living what do you do for a living right and so um so in your job you 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 tend to fight for that job and if you do that you're stepping on people, right? And so there are times where you might walk into your into your work and, oh boy, what did I do yesterday? Mm. What did I say to so-and-so? There's no peace there is what I'm saying. Um, I use that example because, you know, as we've mentioned before, um, I was in radio uh, a long time ago, 20 years ago now. <laughs> um, and back then, I, 
uh, I think all jobs are like this now, but back then it, it was a very tough industry. Mm-hmm. You go for the gusto, especially in an area that pops out uh, uh, graduates of, of, of a radio school every three months. So it, it's a dog-eat-dog world. And so you you it's survival of the fittest. You have to go in and with that mentality. And there would be days where I'd walk in and be like, oh, boy, what did what happened yesterday? What do I have to cover up? Those mm-hmm. types of things. And uh, with Christ, with God, all of that stuff's removed. Yes. Because now you do have the peace of God. You do have what's going to happen in the future you do have that settling of um, these worldly things that were very important to you at one time all of a sudden they're not so important Um, there is a freedom i jokingly lately have been talking to my wife about when when the words of you have to do this and I've been jokingly saying, you know, I'm 43 years old. I don't have to do anything. You know, that's well, that's, that's you at 43. I'm 47. I'm going to be 47. That means I'm really, really. Yeah, you don't have to do anything. But I jokingly say that. But with God, with the peace you get from God, there is a lot of times where you go, especially when dealing with the world. Mm-hmm. I don't have to. I don't have to just come to succumb to that. I don't have to feel that way. I don't have to think that way. I know what the truth is, right? There's so, freedom to be yourself. Amen, right. There's freedom to be yourself. And what I mean by that is not, you know, the the false way of, you know, I do what I want. I, I think about myself what I want and uh, I'll do whatever I want. There's, there's this paradox about freedom. In order for freedom to remain freedom, there, there's got to be clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. In the Garden of Eden, before sin, Adam and Eve were in complete freedom and yet they were not allowed Right? They were mm-hmm. not allowed mm-hmm. to eat of that one tree. Um, and their freedom would have been maintained had they not crossed that boundary. So freedom, it, it exists only within the boundaries that God has created freedom to exist. Right. Freedom to be yourself. The moment you step out of those boundaries, um, I mean, we talk about these, these um, abstract things, but really what, what crossing the boundary means is you, you disobey the law of God. And Jesus says, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. There's right. no freedom in there. sin. Sin enslaves you. And once you cross that boundary, that, that boundary, Satan deceives you by saying that boundary is evidence that you're not free. Mm-hmm. The law of God is actually the evidence that you're not walking in freedom of who you really are. Mm. Once you step out of that, then you'll truly be who you are. That's what he told Eve. Right. God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like him. Mm-hmm. Um, and when she crossed that boundary, she found herself further away from God than she could have ever been um, alienated, broken, and in slavery to that. There is no peace for someone that is controlled by an oppressive, destructive force such as sin is. Mm-hmm. And only Jesus, I mean, um, you talked about peace, right? Mm-hmm. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It's, it's interesting, you know, that song Imagine is a very war song. It's a very aggressive song. It's gentle, you know, it's mellow, and, but it's a very angry song about God. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want God in my worldview. Uh, Paul says that we are at enmity with him. We hate his law because we hate him. Mm-hmm. This peace with God is not that 
we do something and now God says, all right, I was angry at you because you were a sinner. Mm. But now because of Jesus, I'm not angry at you anymore. The, the, the war between God and us is we hate him. He loves us, but we hate him. We are, until the moment of conversion, we hate the one that loves us. We are resisting the one that wants to do us good. We are like Jacob that night when he was wrestling with God. Right. He was convinced, this is my enemy. I must overcome him. But the moment God, exactly what you said, the, the moment God displayed supernatural strength, a divine intervention, mm-hmm. Jacob immediately recognized this is not another human being. And he immediately changed. Mm-hmm. He clung and said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the blessing he was yearning was to no longer be Jacob, the deceiver. So God says, you are hungering. You are thirsting for righteousness. Mm. You are poor in spirit. Uh, I'm glad you feel this way because now you're no longer Jacob. Now you are Israel. Right. And so that conversion brought peace. Now Jacob was limping, but at peace. At peace, right. At peace in his heart. He was no longer afraid. Well, he had trepidations, but he no longer ran away from his brother Esau. Now he faced Esau because he was the, well, if he takes everything that I have, if he takes my family's life, even if he takes my life, at least I have peace with God. Right, right. Uh, and, that, and that is one of the most stable ways to live. And we must have that experience on a daily basis. This is not a, yep, I have peace with God in 1978, you know, February 2nd. It's something that I had this morning when I woke up in the morning and right. said, Lord, I need you in my life today. Um, thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Lamentations 3, 21 through 23. Um, and I need those mercies. I need your grace today to sustain me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very peaceful uh, way. There's a way to live a peaceful life. Right. And you, you're making me think of, you know, the the law was written the way that it's written on purpose. Because those first four uh, commandments, they are a relationship with God, right? Mm-hmm. You have to have that first in order to do the last six, because the last six are the dreaded ones, because they say, don't do this, don't do that, right? <laughs> well, and those are the ones that people point to and say, well, you know, see that God is constrictive or mm-hmm. constricting. And without the first four, you have to have the first four first. You have to have that relationship with God in order to have that relationship wow, with God. man. You said that, you know what? We are on Beatitude number seven, mm-hmm. and now we have sons. Right. God. It has taken us all of these <laughs> experiences of the poor in spirit, mourning, uh, the meek, hungering and thirsting, all of these experiences before we can finally get to sons. Right. Not because God is making us go through all this long list of, you know, a bureaucracy. This, uh, this God is ha- has to deconstruct the way we see ourselves, the way we see, see him. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once God corrects how we see him and us, um, we willingly want to be his children. Whereas before, I was very adamant and very passionate about being his enemy. Um, like you as an atheist, mm-hmm. I think you you uh, shared with me that, that you, know, you were not very happy that your friend was starting to come to church. Yeah, right. I came and, with him to get him out of this crazy cult, <laughs> right? Um, <clears throat> so you were so adamant that you wanted to be the anti-evangelist of the gospel. Um, but now... Nothing makes you happier mm. and fills your heart with joy than to think that 
God loves you so much that you are his child mm. you, and you will be his child forever. Nothing brings peace to your heart any more than that, any more than for Emma and Alec, you know, to sit in your lap and, you know, play with your beard. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's funny that you, the words you're using, um, the question that finally hit me uh, that, you know, that God planted in my brain was, what are you so mad about? Mm. And and that was what I had to look at. What am I so angry about? Mm. And, That's a powerful question. Right. Mm. God is just good with questions. Amen. Yes. <laughs> uh, so now, we're not just talking about those who have peace, those who mm-hmm. have peace. Actually, the, the beatitude is those that are peacemakers. Right. So, John, we've spent quite a bit of time uh, making sure that we understand what it means that that I have peace with God. Mm-hmm. We, we've, we've anchored that. We've nailed that. But now we're peacemakers. Right. What do we do with that part? So, again, we went back to that because, you know, what qualifies somebody to be a peacemaker? And it is those who have a strong peace. Mm. And so what do we do with that peace? It is, you know, it's not just a clever ruse that the scriptures tell us to share the gospels, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just a way, well, that's just put in there so the church gets bigger. I mean, that is part of it. But the reason the reasoning is because we do have this peace, and when you have something that has changed your life like it does, um, you can't help but to share it. Mm-hmm. It's not because we, you know, the 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 big the big evil pastor, if you will, uh, t- says, "Okay, now go get me more members so we can, you know, mm-hmm. get a bigger right. church." It's just you can't help but to do it. Um, Think about people that have changed just their diets, for example, mm. and they feel how the di- the difference that it makes, or you know, the weight that they've lost, the difference that it makes in their whole um, attitude. And they'll tell anybody, right? Mm. Even when you didn't ask, they'll tell you about their diet. So how much more so then, when you actually have this piece that changes your life, that you want to do that as well? And so, I think there's two parts to this, though, too. God knew that we needed to exercise this or we would forget it, right? It's awfully nice if we can sit there and just read our scriptures and then that's it. And we don't apply it. That would be great if we could do that. But the problem is we can't do that. You have to exercise it. Um, you know, I always I always joke because we were here in Detroit. If, uh, if the NFL players never practiced, well, they'd all look like the Lions. But if it, we wouldn't watch it, right? Uh, if, if they Ouch. didn't, pra- <laughs> if they didn't practice, that's a that's a scorned Lions fan talking. Uh, if they if they didn't practice, it would be unwatchable. We wouldn't watch that. Mm. So, because why? What would that look like? You know, you, you talk about evangelism, right? Mm-hmm. And immediately, as a pastor, you know, thank God, God has worked on me so that I'm not this big evil pastor. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm short, um, but I'm thinking. Evangelism, right? Peacemakers. And immediately thought about our country, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm glad that I have a, I'm a U.S. citizen with a U.S. passport. I go to other countries, and there's not that level of peace that we have, mm. um, relatively speaking, right? Um, and I think that that right there explains why so many people want to come into our country. I mean, I'm not definitely not speaking about politics right now. However, whatever side you may be on, but not many countries are uh, trying to build a wall around their periphery to keep people from coming in. Mm-hmm. But we are. Right. Because of the huge influx of people that want 
took him into the United States because there's st relative stability to our economy. There's relative stability and there's peacefulness here. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have Arizona up in arms against Texas. There's peace within the states. We are the United States. And if you were to transpose that to church, you know, if you were the United Church, mm -hmm. the church where, where the families cared for one another, supported, respected each other, and of course, you know, we, we have our crinks and wrinkles as a church, as a country. But using this parable, I'm wondering if experiencing this peace would be noticeable by others. Mm -hmm. Just like the United States is noticeable by the rest of the world in such a way that we have one of the longest waiting lines in our immigrations of people wanting to come in. Right. Um, I'm wondering if being a peacemaker is something that naturally would take place as people see you no longer vying for the top job at the radio station, no longer being so cutthroat, right. but actually being genuinely nice. Well, I think it. I think it does, and and it, you know, I, I talked about using the example of Romans uh, chapter fourteen. After Paul, throughout all of Romans, has you know, he's got two groups of people there. He has the Jews and the Gentiles, mm. and. Uh, Actually, there's a third. But anyway, the Jews and the Gentiles are there, and they're, this is a new church, and they're butting heads. And when you have people that are butting heads, guess what? Everybody thinks they're right. Mm. So Paul takes the book of Romans, and he cuts everybody down <laughs> yes. to where we are all – I mean – I mean, if you could paraphrase Romans, part of Romans, we are all in the same boat, ultimately. We all need the gospel. We Jesus, all need the gospel. Power, right. So as he's wrapping that up, as he's wrapping that, that letter up, he talks to this church about the strong lifting up the poor, the, the, the strong in faith lifting up the weak in faith. Mm. And... And as he does this, as you start to think about that, again, now when you have this peace of God and you're, you're evangelizing, you're, you're no longer living for self. Here's a, here's a big secret in life. We're never living for self. You know, we, we have to, we, and Paul talks about this in Romans as well, even those outside of the church, you don't just live for yourself. Your, your life, other people's lives are uh, affected by it. And so Paul's telling this church, Look, if you feel that you're one of the stronger people, instead of being arrogant about that, then uplift the weaker people. Mm. And then what that does, and this causes peace, because once again, what's their one purpose? The gospel, right? Their one purpose is the gospel. So that does cause peace because the, the, uh, the strong are trying to pick up the weak. Well, guess what? The, the strong have to rely on Christ to do that. The weak are relying on Christ as well. And if you're living for other people, if you're starting to live for other people, no longer the, that line becomes kind of hazed. Who is the strong and who is the weak? Because everybody has the one mission in mind. Mm -hmm. And once again, that mission brings peace. So uh, Romans 15, let me jump over there. You know, as, as you get there, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm thinking about what you're saying, you know, who's strong and who's, who's weak, right. right? I'm going to read a passage that as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking, Here's a strong person, and this is what a strong person sounds like. Um, because of this, I'm reading out of 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, mm. there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Verse 8. Mm. This is what a strong person sounds like. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that I might have it leave me. And he has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, this is Paul speaking, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Right, right. So who are the strong ones in the church? Those that recognize they're weak without Christ. Right. John 15, without me, 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. So the, the strong ones really are the ones reminding the weak. Um, you really will not be able to live this Christian life without Jesus. Mm -hmm. I know from experience. Right. I'm telling you that without a, a daily prayer life, without exposing your mind to the Word of God, don't forget that this experience of sons of God is built upon that experience of blessed are the poor. Mm -hmm. And our spiritual poverty really never changes um, in the sense that we will never be able to wake up without needing Christ. Right. Every morning, every breathing moment of our lives, we need Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying here. Oh, your power is made perfect in weakness. Then I'm glad I'm weak. Amen. And it's interesting, too, because Paul... Uh, as he writes this letter to the Romans, he um, he's the authority on peacemaking, <laughs> right? And then at the end of Romans, he talks about how he needs their prayers at the mm. same time. So here I am, the authority of being a peacemaker, but I need you, you know, as well because I'm so weak. The authority of being a peacemaker, what was Paul like before Jesus? Right. <laughs> he was quite the peacemaker, right? Uh, he was taking people from to jails, flogging them, and, you know, breaking havoc in the church. Um, and he thought, this is how you bring peace. Right. So uh, Romans 15, 5 through 7, it says, uh, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, um, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. So once again, if you're trying to receive somebody, if you're trying to uplift somebody else, you are being a peacemaker and you're not, you know, I think what we were trying to establish at the beginning of, of this, of this show uh, was that we oftentimes try to put the cart before the horse. We try to be peacemakers or we have our ideas of what peace might be without even knowing what real peace is. Now, when you know what peace come, where peace comes from, and you know those things, now you can give somebody peace. Yeah. You know, the, the, the storm has to be calmed from within. And uh, I just, well, I, the last days in Puerto Rico, um, I was very moved, deeply moved, as I was going through the Gospel of Matthew, and Jesus finishes um, a feeding 5,000 people and everybody's ready to make him king mm -hmm. and the disciples thinks yes finally and the, but Matthew says that he forced them to get on the boat and go to the other side as he sent the people away and I'm thinking what war must have been raging inside mm. they were not at peace these disciples were not at peace no. and who were they angry at Jesus mm -hmm. what you've just blown the moment this was the moment mm. um, and you just blown it away they, they are angry at Jesus and as they're in the the, the the sea going across Jesus goes up to a mountain to pray and a huge storm breaks out there's no peace for the disciples and that storm was representative of the storm inside Jesus walks on water to the disciples they don't recognize him, but he knows them, and he reveals himself to them. 
And Peter, you know the story, he says, you know, if it's you, command me that I go. And Jesus says, come. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, mm. that storm began to swallow him up. And it's not, Jesus, teach me how to walk on water. Is Jesus, without you I sink. Mm. That's the, the foundation of a peacemaker. And the Bible says that when Jesus got into the boat, the storm ceased. You know, your heart and my heart, John, we are prone for that storm. The disciples had cast out demons. They had preached. I mean, we get it from the Bible. They got it right from Jesus' life. Mm. Um, and yet they could still experience frustration with God, with Jesus, anger towards Jesus. They could still have that storm raging within. But it is that question that God put in your mind. Why are you angry? Mm -hmm. Why are you angry at me? And maybe those people, there's someone listening, John, that deep inside, um, it's not necessarily that they're rebelling outwardly, but they're keeping God at a distance. Mm -hmm. And maybe there's anger at him. The beauty about our Savior is that he doesn't leave us or leave us to our mistakes because we are angry at him. He comes near. He came to the disciples with the storm and maybe God is using this little episode to draw near to someone with encouragement that, yes, you're angry at me. That's the reality, but I still love you. All right. My love for you will not change because of this lack of peace in your heart. If anything, until you let me in your boat, the storm will, will continue to pound, mm -hmm. continue to pound your life. So I'm, I'm guessing this is a good way for us to, to land this plane and appeal. Let Jesus in. Amen. Let let the Prince of Peace into your heart. He is the only source of peace for our lives. Amen.